Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Abrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for being a gracious and loving God, for being a God who does in fact breathe new life into our hearts, who does in fact offer a means for redemption and salvation through Yeshua Mashiach. Father, we thank you that your word is living and breathing and that every time we open it, that we can be ministered to and received from you. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will open our hearts to hear from you, to hear your voice, to be touched by you. Father, I pray that every word that comes forth in this message will be your word spoken and not mine, your heart felt and received and not mine. Father, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. B'shem Yeshua Meshecheinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. And everyone says, Amen. So this week we are in Parsha Toldot, and we are moving forward in, you know, every year, we make this journey uh, through the forefathers, right? Through the, the avot, the fathers of our faith. And we have prayers that we say, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, and God of our fathers, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. And we say these over and over again throughout the year, throughout our lives. Um, and every year as we move through Bereshit, through the book of Genesis, we have the opportunity to really see those points in times where he actually becomes the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And we get to witness their lives in the text of the Bible and we get to see how they lived and how they honored God or oftentimes did not honor God. And we get to see the example that they laid out before us and we get to see how to model our lives as best we can through the word of God to be as much a blessing to the Lord as their lives were throughout and, and you got to remember like we'll see what Jacob soon is there are points where his life was a blessing there are points where it was not really and often if we're honest with ourselves that is us too there are points where we're really a blessing to God and there are points where God's going get it together already what do you uh, and it's really important that we understand that even as we look at somebody like Jacob who's got these roller coaster moments in his life that we have opportunity to see an example for how to be restored and renewed perfectly in the will of God and in alignment with him for our lives. So this week we're looking at the message of uh, the, the person of Isaac as we de deal with the message today. And we actually see Isaac's moment of faith where he recognizes that Adonai is his God, that he's not just the God of his father Abraham, but he is the God of Isaac. Uh, I believe that moment was with the Akeda, the binding of Isaac that we read about before, in which he's bound to the altar, and just as his father is about to bring the knife down to slice his throat and to kill him as a sacrifice before the Lord, the Lord provides a ram in the thicket for him and stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. And uh, as we've talked about his age and where he was in life, it's interesting to note that we picture Isaac in the old-fashioned Sunday school narrative of Isaac being a young boy when this occurred, but realistically he was a young man. He was likely in his mid to late 20s, if not his early 30s. You've heard me say it before. I'm really hoping that he was like 33 when that happened because that would be really awesome coincidence considering all of the rest of the correlation of the, the Akeda to the sacrifice of Yeshua. It would be really cool, but we won't know that till we get to heaven and have the opportunity to talk to him. But 
what we see is that I believe the, the Akeda was that moment for Isaac because Isaac sees and he cries out to his dad as they're walking up the mountain. Look, I see we got the fire and we got the wood. Where's the sacrifice, Pop? And his dad says, no worries, God will provide himself a lamb. And that's exactly what he does in the ram in the thicket. And ultimately for us, exactly what he does through Yeshua as the literal lamb of God that he provides to make restoration and relationship for us. But I believe that Isaac wholeheartedly understood what was happening. And I believe that as we see with the age, if Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born, that means that he was in his late 120s, if not early 130s, when the Akedah occurred, just as Isaac was in his late 20s, if not early 30s, when the Akedah happened. And if that's the case, then what we understand is that there's no possible way uh, that Abraham could have put Isaac down on that table, tied him down, and got ready to sacrifice him if Isaac was not a part of the process if Isaac did not allow it to happen. I'm about 20 years difference in age from my father and I can promise you short of him knocking me out or killing me first, he's not tying me down to anything unless I allow it or he knocks me out or kills me first. Uh, and, and there's a hundred year difference, not just 20 between Isaac and Abraham. So here we see the continuation of this story of Isaac's life. And as we move into this continuation of the story of Isaac's life, we're now seeing that Abraham uh, has now died and Isaac has children and he's moving forward in his life and his calling as one of the forefathers of the people of Israel. So if you have your scriptures, open up to uh, Genesis chapter 26. And what we'll notice with Isaac is that we see so many unique connections uh, connections between Isaac's life and Abraham's life. There are repetitions of things that occur in Abraham's life that also occur in Isaac's life, and we see them in this week's Parsha. One of those is that in Abraham's life, there was a famine that arose, and, and Abraham had to deal with that. In Isaac's life, there's a famine that arises, and as a, uh, Isaac is trying to deal with this, verse 1 of chapter 26 of Genesis says, now there was a famine in the land, aside from the previous famine that had happened in Abraham's days. So Isaac went to King Abimelech of the Philistines to Gerar, then Adonai appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land about which I tell you. Live as an outsider in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your seed I give all these lands, and I will confirm my pledge that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your seed like the stars of the sky, and I will give your seed all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will continually be blessed. Because Abraham listened to my voice and kept my charge, my mitzvot, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So we see that Isaac is trying to figure out, as we often do, get hungry, things get a little tight, there's not enough money in the bank. We try to figure out how can we make this work on our own. If you notice, Isaac's dealing with his famine and his instinct isn't to turn to God and ask God for a blessing or ask God what he's supposed to do. But instead his instinct is run to the king of the nearest area that looks like they're doing okay and see if they can help us. And as he's making his way to Abimelech, uh, all of a sudden the Lord appears to him and, and meets with him and says, nope, do not leave the promised land. Now, uh, Abimelech was a... a, a a uh, Philistine and as a Philistine he was actually in uh, what would ultimately be the promised land but he says you are to stay in the land that I've called you to you're not to leave you're not to go anywhere because it wouldn't have been that hard for him to have journeyed down to Egypt to see if things were better there or to journey out to uh, or, uh, to, to uh, Laban's household where he knew things were okay or what have you but instead the Lord says no I want you to stay here I want you to stay put in the place that I have called you and the place that I have said is a promise before you in the place that I say through which 
the entire world will be blessed through your seed. And so he, said, he, he tells him to stay. He decides to plant his uh, self there. Says verse 6, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now the next thing we read is that Abimelech's people start to see uh, Rebekah and they go, hmm, Rebekah's kind of cute. And Isaac starts to hear about the fact that the, the Philistines think Rebekah's kind of cute. And Isaac remembers, hey, I remember this narrative about my pops doing this not once but twice. And saying that uh, Sarah was his sister to save his own hide. And then it almost kills an entire people because of it. And so here Abimelech uh, approaches or the Philistines approach him. And he says, oh no, he's, she's my sister. No worries. You, can, uh, you don't have to kill me over it. He's trying to save his own life. Says, he's, she's my sister. It'll all be okay. Ultimately, somebody looks out the window. Abimelech looks out the window and sees that he's caressing her ever so romantically. Which is awkward if she's supposed to be a sister, right? That's some backwoods stuff there. That's weird. And so... Abimelech comes to him and says, what is it you've done? Why is it that you're sitting here telling us that she's your sister when it's very obvious that there's more to this relationship? And he says, oh, I was afraid you were going to kill me. I was afraid you were going to kill me for her. And so it plants this seed of uh, 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 division, the seed of anger between Abimelech and the Philistines and Isaac and what would ultimately be Israel. And if you pay attention, these names continue throughout the journey of the people of Israel, right? The Philistines reappear again down the road. Remember, they're the people that Joshua didn't wipe out the land and ultimately become a problem for Saul and David and Solomon and so on and so forth. And still today are a generational curse that the Jewish people are dealing with in the promised land as we speak because although the Philistines no longer exist, when Israel was reestablished in 1948, the Arabs that lived in the land that is now Israel said, oh wait, this was our land. We are the Philistine, or the, 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 uh, the, the, the uh, they call themselves the uh, Palestinians, which was from the Greek word Philistia, which is the Greek word for Pilistim, uh, or the Philistines. And so they said, oh, we're, we're really the, the Philistines. This is our land. We've been here forever. And it's a smack of the glove in Israel's face. And so we still have all of the people of the Philistines no longer exist. We still have the same generational curse. And if you pay attention, where is it that this generational curse really still resides and is prominent when we see all these rocket alerts going off in Israel? Where are they coming from? From Gaza. And that's the same place that Joshua, the book of Joshua, says that Joshua left the Philistines alone. It didn't do anything with them. And it's still a problem today, a generational curse today that our, our, our people are dealing with. And so what we see here is there's been a seed planted of this aggression, of this issue between the two here in this week's Parsha, and it continues to develop from there. But nonetheless, uh, Isaac says, okay, I'm going to stay put here. Uh, him and Abimelech let things go, and, and they, you know, Abimelech passes this command and says, anybody touches uh, Rebekah that you'll die, and so they leave him alone. So Isaac begins to sow the land. He begins to plant roots, very literally begins to plant roots here in this area of Gerar, and he begins to become wealthy. Because the Lord is blessing him and his family and their, their family is growing, their wealth is growing, their herds are growing, their crops are growing. And all of a sudden Abimelech gets uh, a, a little jealous, he gets a little scared, he gets a little worried about what's happening. So then he comes to Isaac and he says, look, I know we had peace before but I want you to leave because you're getting too powerful for us. Reminds you of what Israel experiences in the book of Exodus. What is it that Egypt says? Egypt says these people are becoming too powerful for us. And what will happen if they join with our enemies against us? So they start to see the reality of the promise of God being birthed as this nation is growing and developing and as the blessing that God says would be upon them is developing. Verse 17, so Isaac departed from there, camped in the valley of Gerar and dwelled there. 
Then Isaac dug up, dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. The Philistines had stopped them up after Abraham's death. So he gave them the same names that his father had given them. Then Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of living water. But the shepherds of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's shepherds saying, the water is ours. So he named the well Quarrel. Because the, he, they quarreled with him. Then he dug another well and they quarreled over it too. So he named it accusation. Then, which by the way, the same root for Hasatan, the accuser, the adversary. The, the, the word there is the same root for that. Uh, verse 22, then he moved from there and dug another well. That, and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it wide spaces and said, because now Adonai had crea- has created wide spaces for us. And we will be fruitful in the land. He went up from there to Beersheba. Adonai appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you and I will bless you and multiply your seed for the sake of Abraham my servant. So he built an altar there and he called on the name of Adonai. He pitched his tent there he and, I, there, and Isaac's servants hollowed out a well there also and it's really interesting when we see this because when Isaac begins to get thirsty and his his sheep are thirsty his herds are thirsty and he needs something to drink he runs back to the wells of his father and he begins to dig these up notice as soon as Abraham died the Philistines closed these wells in he runs back to the wells that his father had dug and he restores the name and if you go back to uh the the narrative of Abraham's life we see the names of the wells that he placed and how he sees God moving in his life in each and every one of those moments and so Isaac restores the names of those wells as he digs them up and notice it doesn't say that he actually gets benefit from it but instead the Philistines do because he moves on from there and then he digs some more wells and the, the, the people of Gerar, which are the Philistines, the, the herd sheep shepherds there get a little anxious and they want it. So they say it's ours and they kick him away from there and he says it's quarrelsome and he leaves it with them. And so here you've got Isaac through whom the promise of Messiah comes, through whom the promise of blessing for all nations come who are digging these wells for his own family, for his own people, for his own sheep, his own herds and everything else. But yet it's the nations being blessed by it. Do you notice this? He digs these wells and it's the shepherds of the Philistines that are taking these first few wells off his hands and saying, hey, we got this. This is ours. You go on. And many of us, if that was our lives today and we were working our butts off and somebody else was profiting from it and we'll leave the government out of it, but somebody else was profiting from it and and everything going on, most of us would get really annoyed and angry and we would complain and we'd gripe and we'd cause all these rifts to go on. We'd make things far worse rather than turning to God, but instead Isaac just continues to move on to the next one. He knows it's okay. God's got this under control. Uh, he told me to stay here. He'll make sure that we don't die of thirst. So he moves on. And he digs another well. And, and this one, nobody argues with him over. And so he ends up naming it Wide Open Space. He says that God has now provided a place where we can be fruitful and multiply, where we can continue to, uh, to, to, to grow from the land and, and God will bless us. And it says that God appeared to him and reiterated the covenant that he gave to Abraham, the covenant that he's already made with Isaac earlier in this Parsha. We just read about in the beginning of 26, the covenant that will later be made with Jacob two or three times because it took Jacob's hard head a little bit to figure it out. The same covenant that's made with the nation of Israel over and over and over again that I will make you a great people, that I will be your God and you will be my people and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. But notice the key here is that, a, that Isaac had to stay put in the promises of God. 
See, even as the enemies of Isaac were, were coming at him and were trying to push him out the way, even as they were trying to take what God was giving Isaac and take it upon themselves, most of us in those situations, we would just walk away from it. All right, clearly I read God's, uh, God's direction for my life, his calling for my life. I read it wrong because things are too difficult here. Anybody had that before? God calls you to do something, you start going, and all of a sudden the work gets a little tough, and we go, oh, this is too difficult. It must not be what God wanted. If God wanted me to do it, it'd be easy. But is that really what we see as a, 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 a picture in the scriptures? Was Moses' life following the God, call of God easy? Was Abraham's life following the call of God easy? Was, was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was in the priestly order. He was raised to be a priest, and God calls him out and says, mm, slow it down there, buddy. We've got another calling for you. You're going to lay on your side for a long period of time, and you're going to make people angry by bringing the word of God to them. And, and Jeremiah goes, uh, I don't really want to do any of that. Can you pick somebody? He tries to use the same argument that, that Moses does, but, but I don't speak so well. And God says, now you speak fine. Let's go. Let's do this. Right? Was Jeremiah's life easy? Was following the call of God and the leading of God easy in Jeremiah's life? Not at all. So what makes us think that just because God puts a call on our lives that it should be easy? If it's easy, are we really walking in faith? If there aren't trials that come before us, are we really pushing through in faith? Imagine if Isaac sits here and God appears to him and says, all right, I want you to stay put here. I know that the land is, is getting hungry and there's famine upon you and everything's happening, but I don't want you to leave the promised land. This is where I have given you and all of your descendants your promise, your inheritance, and through you in this place, the entire world would be blessed. And all of a sudden, everything goes according to plan rapidly, according to Isaac's plan rapidly, and everything falls into place, and he never has a hard moment in life. And how easy is it then for us to go, as Isaac to go, ah, see how I worked hard and look what I got. I, I did really good stuff in all of this, right? The Lord tells Israel, I won't give you the entire land immediately, but instead in phases, because if you get it all at once, it'll overcome you and you'll say, I did this myself. But yet the Lord says, I just want you to be here. I want you to follow me to wait here for the promise that I put on your life. I've already spoken this covenant. I've already given you this covenant. I want you to wait here in my promises and watch what I have in store for you. And so Isaac stayed and he walked faithfully in the covenant of the Lord and every time that the enemy came and tried to dissuade him by stealing his wells or, or hurting his people or whatever it was, every time the enemy came and tried to tear him down to steal, kill, and destroy, however else you want to word it, Isaac just said, all right, God's got something else in store. Let's see where that is. I'm going to stay where God put me, and I'm going to trust in him no matter what. And what's really interesting is in the next section, verse 26, says, now Abimelech, who just kicked Isaac, if we just read a few verses back, he kicks Isaac out and says, look, you've got to go somewhere else because you're getting too powerful for us, and we're afraid of you. It says, now Abimelech went to him in Gerar along with Achzad, his friend, and called the commander of his army. Uh, Isaac said to them, we, why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me away from you. They said, we've clearly seen that Adonai has been with you. So we said, let there now be an agreement between us, between us and you, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we haven't touched you, and just as we did nothing to you but good, nothing to you but good, and sent you away in shalom and peace. You are now blessed by Adonai. Then he made a feast for them. Most of us, if our enemies approach us like that, we might forgive them. We might make that agreement with them, but we're still going to harbor hard feelings and we're going to be like, all right, cool. We'll shake hands. I'll get out of my way. Not Isaac. 
Isaac accepts the proposal that they make. He restores this relationship and he sits down and eats with them. And you've got to remember in the Near East, the ancient Near East, breaking bread together, that is an intimate experience. That is an intimate relational reality. This isn't just something, he's not just throwing some food to the dogs and saying, have fun, we'll be okay. He's literally sitting down with the guy that was his enemy, the guy that kicked him out, the guy whose people kept stealing everything from him. And he says, okay, it's all good here. Let me feed you. Let me be a blessing to you. And they ate and drank. Then they got up early in the morning and made a pledge each to his brother. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in shalom and peace. Now it happened that on that day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug because they were already digging another well and said to him, we've found water. So he called that place Pledge. That is why the city's name is Beersheba to this day when, uh, and then it goes on to begin to dive into Esau and his life. But what's really, uh, really neat here is we see the anointing in Isaac's life and we see the way he walks in faith with the Lord. And even as things get difficult and tough, right? How many of us have difficult times in our lives? How many of us have had a difficult time this week? How many were with family this week? If your hand's not up saying you had a difficult time, I don't think you truly know what family really is, right? Family is trying sometimes. God love them and we do too. But sometimes being with family is trying. Uh, and, and, and that's just the reality about it. But we have these moments in our lives where things get difficult, and most of us, if things get difficult, we immediately want to throw the towel in. We immediately go, okay, this is clearly, if this was God, it would be way easier, and there's no sense in me running along this path. I should figure something else out. And the whole time God's over there going, no, 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 no. O- okay, just come come back. You went off track. Just come back. We'll put you back on path, and and then we get back on path down the road and all of a sudden here comes another trial and we're, oh, see, it's still too difficult. Clearly this wasn't what I was supposed to do. And we turn around and we walk away and we go the other way and this whole time we're having this battle with God. But here with Isaac, we have this image of this guy who had such deep faith in the Lord that when his father was called by God to sacrifice him literally, his immediate response was, all right, let's go do this. God's got it under control. Let's see what he's got in store. And here in this week's Parsha, when God says, stay put, I know everything looks hard around you. I know there's not a lot of food. I know things are difficult. Just stay put and wait on me. Trust in me and see what I have in store. And he went, all right, let's ride this out. Let's see what happens. And he digs wells and people come and steal it. And he goes, all right, God's got it under control. Let's find another. Here's another spot. Let's dig a well over here. Dig a well. Somebody comes and takes it away. All right, let's go over there. Maybe over there is better. And take it from him too. He goes to the next place. Finally, he finds and he blesses the Lord every step of the way and trusts that God's got it in store. How many of us, in all honesty, can find ourselves in that same place where we're walking in what we believe to be the call of God for our life, the covenantal relationship that we have with him, and things get difficult and our immediate response is, I don't know that I have it in me. I don't know that I want to put up with this. Look, as a, a rabbi of a Messianic Jewish congregation, uh, as a person who planted a Messianic Jewish congregation, I can tell you flat out, there have been ample times that I really quickly just wanted to go, all right, <laughs> too tough, I'm out. <laughs> let's throw the towel in, let's walk away. This is ridiculous, I don't want to do it, let's go away. But we didn't, and we pushed through. Even when things seem tough, even when things seem difficult, we push through. And as the community grows, as a community, we continue to push through and we continue to walk faithfully because we know that the one thing that Yeshua tells us as followers of Messiah that we are going to experience here on earth is that life is going to get, does he say easier? No. He says harder. 
He says, the enemy is going to hate us that much more as we walk in faith with him. The world is going to hate us that much more as we walk in faith with him. Everything is going to get harder. But if we walk faithfully with him, we will see his blessing. And he will use us to be a blessing to others. When we walk outside of faithfulness with him, we don't. And we aren't. We see in uh, Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, this is as the, uh, the, the disciples are encountering Yeshua, the resurrected Yeshua. And they're seeing that here he is before them and he's telling them he's getting ready to ascend and leave. Uh, verse 4, he's speaking to him and he says, Now while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh not many days from now. And we go backwards to John 30, chapter 7, verse 37. John chapter 7, verse 37. And this is reference to what he's talking about there. He says, on the last day, last and greatest day of the feast, this was Sukkot, Yeshua stood up and cried out loudly, if anyone thir is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Ruach, the Spirit from whom, uh, from, from whom those who trusted in him were going to receive. For the Ruach has, was not yet given, since Yeshua was not yet glorified. So those that are hearing him speak these words, they don't understand exactly what's going on. They don't understand exactly what's being said. But then he clarifies it post-resurrection as he's appearing again before his disciples, before his ascension. He says, now while staying with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John immersed with water, but you will be immersed in the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his control, but you will receive the power, receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like the covenant made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob he says, I have given this land to you as a blessing and as a promise, and I have called you to be my people, and I will be your God, and through you, the entire world will be blessed. Through you, every nation on the face of the world will encounter me. Every nation on the face of the earth will experience my love. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Ruach HaKodesh has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and through Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the Lord making covenants with the body of Messiah, a covenant which then re in, requires a sign, and that sign of the covenant comes in just a few days in the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh on Shavuot at the temple in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. And immediately afterwards, thousands of people come to faith instantly. And it says that as the disciples, as the followers of Yeshua walked faithfully in the Ruach HaKodesh, walked faithfully in relationships with Him, walked faithfully in the Word of the Lord, that there were those being added daily that were being saved. 
And eight chapters later, we see the outpouring or the, the, the salvation through Yeshua given to the nations and the household of Cornelius and the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh upon them in the exact same way that it occurred in Acts chapter 2 with the Jewish believers uh, at the temple on Shavuot. And we see all of this begin to take picture and everything that we see begin, becomes this, this huge image that the Lord has been building and building and building before our eyes. And finally, we start to see the culmination of it. And the call that was given to Isaac is the same call that is given to us except now. Now we are in that promise because we're living in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, or at least we should be. And if you're not, for the love of God, fall on your knees today and ask the Lord to place his power upon you because the world needs it more now than ever before. But the reality is, is as believers in Messiah Yeshua, those bought by the blood of the Lamb, those restored through his salvation, we have been given the Ruach HaKodesh, which is the fulfillment of the promises that have been made over and over and over again to our forefathers throughout the reality of Scripture. And that Ruach has been given to us that you and I can be a blessing to the entire world. As a Jewish believer, my job, and you've heard me say it time and time again, my job is to reach the nations and as those from the nations brought into the commonwealth of Israel through the blood atonement of Messiah, your job is to reach the Jewish people and to drive them to jealousy for, your, for their God. And together we work to see the entire world blessed. Just as was the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Just as what we see with this, this battle beginning to develop between the Philistines and Israel... The reality is this battle is a, a, a microcosm expression of a greater reality, which is this spiritual battle between the anti-Messiah and the Messiah. Between the anti-Messiah and the bride of Messiah. See, everything that's happened against the Jewish people up to this point in terms of anti-Semitism and every nation on the face of the earth turning their back on us and trying to kill us, the reality is, is that's the spirit of the anti-Messiah trying to destroy the Jewish people. Why? So that the Jewish people do not fulfill their call which is to be a blessing to the entire world. The enemy knows if he can hold the Jewish people back, he will hold the world back from knowing the truth of Yeshua. If he can hold the Jewish people back, he'll hold the world back from seeing the fullness of the promise of God. But if we as followers of Messiah Yeshua, both Jew and Gentile, united as one, brought together as one people in the commonwealth of Israel, if you and I, empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, stand firm, and the call that has been given to us as believers, as those bought by the Lamb, if we stand firm in the face of adversity, if we stand firm in the face of the enemy's onslaught attacks and everything else that he's trying to do to us, then the world has opportunity to be restored just as Abimelech made restoration of relationship with Isaac. And notice this happens as they're finding living water. Right? Isaac's servants are digging a well Story stops or pauses. Here comes Abimelech and immediately afterwards as the nations are reunited with Israel, this image that's there, we see this overflow of living water that will come forth. Just as Yeshua says in John 7, says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Ruach whom those who trusted in him were going to receive. For the Ruach was not yet given since Yeshua was not yet glorified. Yeshua has been glorified. His Ruach has in fact come. And you and I have in fact been given opportunity to be filled with it so that we can impact the world around us to see a greater picture of restoration. And it takes you and I walking faithfully in the call of God, faithfully in covenant relationship with Him, no matter how many wells are stolen from us, no matter how many herds are stolen from us, no matter how many lives are taken away from us, we must walk firm 
and stand on the foundation of our covenant relationship with the Lord to trust that what we see between Abimelech and Isaac will occur between the nations and the Lord. And he wants to use you and I as a part of that plan. And this is why he has given us rivers of living water in his Ruach HaKodesh that will never run dry. And if you feel like yours has ran dry, it's time to go back to the wells of our forefathers. It's time to dig back into the wells of our forefathers and see the power of God that is there. It's time for us to go back to the wells of our forefathers. If you feel like your well has run dry, if you feel like the living water is anything but living and still in your life, go back to the Word. Dig back into His presence. Fall on your face before Him and repent. Because the one thing that keeps us separated from the presence of God is what? Sin. If we feel like our well has run dry, odds are there is something in our lives that is hindering His presence in our midst. And it's time that we go back to the wells of our fathers. Amen. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you, Father. We thank you that in spite of our human nature, in spite of being fallen, that you love us, that you cherish us, that you have given everything for us, that you have given us Yeshua as our Messiah, that we may walk faithfully in you, that we may see your salvation, that we may experience your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you will empower us here in this congregation, each and every one of us as individuals, collectively within the body of Messiah, that you will empower us with a fresh anointing and outpouring of your Ruach HaKodesh as we dive back into the wells of our fathers so that we may see your living water flow and all from the nations and Israel as a whole be blessed by your covenant relationship with us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray. And everyone says... Amen.